You know, um, as a pastor, you're probably the most, probably most keenly aware of all the things as a church that we could do better. You know, you look around, there's ways we know we could be sharing our faith more effectively, ways we can minister to needs more effectively, ways that we could disciple people more effectively, and the list just kind of goes on and on, and there's all kinds of things that you're always working on, but, you know, I got to tell you, you know, this past week I I was reminded of just what a joy and a privilege it is to serve with this church, and I I was was proud of Hope Chapel for a number of reasons, and, and, you know, one of those is, as Bob shared earlier, we had a team of people that were gone on a mission trip up to Maine, and I know they were conflicted about whether they should come down and be a part of the army of people who tried to love on Sam and the family. At the same time, they were serving a church that has just a couple more weeks before they have to be out of their building where they meet in the school. And if they don't get that building done, they're out in the street. And, uh, and so they stayed because there was a kingdom need there. So in the midst of that confliction, they continued to, to follow the guidance that God gave, gave, gave them to be on that mission trip and to serve. And, and I'm proud of that. You know, and just watching our church, the way it responded this week and kind of ramping up for everything, it was, it was just great. I mean, it's not very usual when you have somebody who's organizing a major event saying, I've got more people than I need. I've got more food than I need. And it was just, some, it's just symptomatic of, of, of um, who we can be when we really want to be, and I was proud of that. And some of you saw my newsletter, and I'm not sure I'm going to get through this, but... You know, on Monday, I drove down from Farmington, Maine, to, to be with Sam and the family. When I got there, you know, I hugged each of the kids, and Sam was out on the, on the back porch with, a couple of, with two couples from her life group that were praying with her. And when I got done, I went out there and, and sat with Sam and, and uh, just held her for a few minutes as she just literally sobbed uncontrollably. And in the moments that she could get composure, she said, I just want to have a great testimony come out of all of this. You know, and... Um, that's great kind of faith. And it's an, honor to, it's an honor to serve with people like that. So this week I was conflicted as well as to what I should preach about this Sunday. Should I continue on with my series or divert to our occasion? And since I found it very hard to concentrate in many ways, I decided to continue on with the series today. You know, we've been... What, what a tremendous context for us to be asking the question, what does it really take for us to live well in modern times. Now here we have this 44-year-old friend of ours. Good shape, way skinnier than me, you know, younger than me and all these kinds of things. He's out for a jog, doing all the right things, and he never comes home. And what an incredible place for us to be asking ourselves a question, what does it take for us to live well today? And, and God answered that question for us way back when he was forming up the nation of Israel to be his people. God had a, a plan. He had, a hist- he had an agenda. He, he wanted to bless the world by bringing His Son into the world to be a substitutionary atonement for our sins. He wanted to give us a way to have a relationship with Him. And He needed to prepare a people to be the source of that blessing through which His Son could come. And, and, he, and he took them out of slavery in Egypt and He brought them out. And, and as He brought them to Mount Sinai, He was forming them into a, a, a relationship with Himself. And He gave them, He says, here's the stuff that you got to do if you want to live well. And we know those today as the Ten Commandments. If you want to be a people who live well, who live with all of the stuff that I can pour out to you, all the blessings, all the joy, all the hope, all the power, all the purpose, all the, you know, the, the quality relationships, the community, all, the, the, all that. If you want any of that, this is the way you got to live. This is the stuff. And so we've been looking at this series entitled First and Ten. 
Timeless truths for living well in modern times. You know, we've looked at the first two already. Have no other gods besides me. We've gleaned from that we need to put God first. If life is going to work right in the hands of the Creator, we have to put God first. We've also looked at God's command to have no, to make no idols, to make no graven images, if you will, that represent Him. And, and really the challenge for us is to accept no substitutes except God at the center of our lives. At the top of the heap, the number one priority needs to be God and we need to accept no substitutes to get to that place. But today we get to one that's just a little bit different in nature. We find it in Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Exodus 20. I think it's always powerful for you to read it with your own eyes off of the, literally from the print as I read it aloud for you. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text today on page 62. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, following immediately after Genesis. Some of you may have an inclination to follow along in Deuteronomy, which is where it's interesting is the the agent that God used to form the nation, Moses, as he was, God spoke at the beginning to form up the nation. He gave him the Ten Commandments, and then when he got to the end, he had him repeat the Ten Commandments before he passed off the scene so they would understand how strategic they were for living well. And the third commandment goes this way. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Some of your translations may have the more traditional said, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, because the Lord will punish anyone who misuses his name. Now, I think in our context in the 21st century, it's hard for us to appreciate this commandment because we don't really think of names the same way as they did in ancient times. I mean, many of you, as you went about naming your children, followed many, in many ways the same patterns that, that Christina and I did. You know, we, we sat and we wrote down names and which one sounded good to us, <laughs> you know? I mean, they just had a ring to it that were special to us kind of idea. Others try to pick out names that nobody else has, you know, so they, they reach out for names that are very different, and names are changing all the time today. People are naming their kids literally wild names in many ways, and, and, and because they want to have something unique, they want it to be something different kind of idea. It wasn't true like that in the old days. In, in the days that Moses was alive, that God was speaking this command to him, the, the, the name of a person had tremendous significance. We... we we see some of that come out in the story of, of Jacob in the moment when his, he was renamed Israel. Some of you remember his story. That, you know, um, Jacob had an older brother, Esau. Esau was a man's man. He loved to hunt and he was out and you know, those kinds of things. And, and Jacob was, he was more of a mama's boy. You know, he kind of stayed home a little bit and he was a great cook and those kinds of things. And, and through the conniving, he with his, with his mother, they, he, he stole not only the birthright, but also the blessing that came from the father, this incredible word and, and you know, a, a blessing that couldn't be retracted. And, and, and things got so rough at home with the, the passing of, of his father, that, that he, of Isaac, that he, he had to leave. And he ran away and he went to the home of Laban. And he stayed there for 14 years, laboring to marry the two, da- two daughters of Laban. He really wanted Rachel, but, but, he, but he landed up with, with Leah first, and then he got Rachel afterwards, and, and through some trickery of Laban. And so he stayed there for 14 years, but the time came for him to travel home. And, and as he's getting ready to encounter Esau again, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know if Esau is going to come up with his, his mighty men and just slaughter them all, or if he's just going to pick him out himself and, 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 and kill Jacob. He doesn't know what's going to happen. 
So he sends everything on in front of him and he stays by himself and he, he has an encounter with God. An angel comes and wrestles with him throughout the night. You know, and as, and as they get down to the end of the, the, the evening, the, you can see that the, the sun is starting to rise. The light is in the corner of the sky is just starting to brighten a little bit. And, and the angel says, I've got to go. And, and, and Jacob asks the question, well, before you go, you, you've got to tell me your name. You know, he, he wants to have an insight into who this person is. He wants to have the privilege, the power of kind of knowing this person and, and having the resource, the access to this person available to him. And, and the angel says, well, why do you ask? Why do you ask my name? And, and, and it, was a, it was a question like, why do you want to know? And then in the midst of all of that, the angel renames him Israel, saying, because you have striven with God and man and you have prevailed. And, and in the midst of that encounter, we see some of the, the significance of a name. See, now to, to know a name is just to, you know, know somebody to call, to call them, you know. But, you know, you, you know, I know this is Henry and Troy, you know, you, you, you know those names. And, and it, that doesn't mean anything to us anymore, really. But in the ancient days, to, to know somebody's name was to, to have like a, a window into who they were. It was like you had the ability to kind of peel back their chest and see what was in their heart. It meant you had a relationship with them. It meant that you had influence over them. It means that you had a deep connection with them. You were friends. There was a relationship and there was a real connection. And, and there was in, this inseparableness between the person and the name. So to, so to know the name was to know the person. And it, it was, there was great power in all of that. Almost like, I, you know, I don't know if this communicates a difference at all, but if we're standing out in the lobby afterwards and, and you didn't know my name and you wanted to get my attention and you just kind of yelled, hey, you, you know, I, I might not look. But if you said, hey, Neil, I got a much better chance of looking and responding to you. And, and they, they just blew that up to a, a whole different zip code. To know somebody's name was to, to have access to them, to be able to call upon them, to be able to tap into who they were and what they could do for you and what you could do for them. And it's this incredible significance that went with the name. It stood for the identity, the character, the will, the desire, the passion of the person. And it's in that context that God says, don't misuse my name. Don't misuse my name. You know, I, before I, I, God led us to, to plant Hope Chapel, I was working for the denomination and I had a chance to be in all kinds of different churches. And, and often when I was there, I was there to preach. And so I didn't get to hear the, the, other, the other pastors very often because they were gone on vacation or had me come in as a special speaker or whatever for a special event. And, and it, but on one occasion, I remember I, I, I had a chance during the summer to attend a church and this young pastor was preaching on this, on this particular commandment. And, and he, you know, it, really the... the his two major points were, said, in order for you and I not to misuse the name of God, for, first of all, is that we, we can't do things like, you know, oh my God, I, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Or, boy, Jesus, that was hot. You know, we, we can't be doing that kind of stuff. Or, we can't use God as a substitute for awe in our prayers. You know, like, dear God, we thank you, God, you know, because you've just given us so much God, and God, you know, we just, and that kind of idea, you know? Instead of saying, ah, 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 like you're searching for words to say, just insert God in there, because it just sounds more spiritual, right? You know, you can't be doing that kind of stuff. And there's a lot I agree with him about those things. But think about it. Here's God, who's gone through incredible miracles to bring out his people from Egypt. Bring him to the foot of the mountain. He's, ent he's entering into a relationship with him, a, a relationship that's going to last, a covenant, a connection, a contract. And he's laying out for them the big ten of what it takes to really live a life that God can honor, that God can be in, that God can demonstrate himself through, that God can bless. And he said some great things like, 
You've got to put me first in everything and don't substitute any, don't accept any substitutes. Don't limit me or seek to control me in any ways. You've got to take, take all it. And then he says, and, you know, and by the way, don't, just don't throw my name around as a filler in conversation. It doesn't seem to carry enough weight, does it? I mean, it left me asking the question like, where's the beef, you know? I mean, how is that significant? That somehow or another, your life and my life is going to be a whole lot different before God just because we don't say, Jesus, that hurt. You know, or, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. You know, and I'm not saying those things are unimportant, but there's got to be a lot more to it than just that, right? I mean, how does it make it into one of the top ten if it's just a matter of taking out a few throwaway words in our conversation? And, and it's, it's in that spirit that, that I really want us to explore just a little bit about what does it mean to misuse the name of God. Again, names have tremendous significance. You know, we, we see individuals in the scriptures receiving new names. Abram was renamed Abraham. You know, Jacob became Israel. Simon became Peter. Paul became Saul. And all you see these transformations because the names stood for something. They showed what God was up to. And that was in particular especially true with the, word, with the name of God. Remember when Moses asked him, well, who should I say, who should I tell them sent me? And God said, just tell them I am who I am sent you. The Israelites boiled that down to four letters that would translate or transliterate over to English as Y-H-W-H. We pronounce that with some syllables in there as Yahweh. Whenever you look through your Bibles and you see the the word Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized, so it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's because the word underneath it was the word Yahweh. And it was an incredibly special name for them. It was interesting that there were even some Hebrews who, who before they wrote the name Hebrew, the, the word Yahweh, they would go and wash their hands before they would write it out. It was that special to them because it stood all for who God was. And, and it's in that sense that, that God says, don't misuse my name. And one of the things that I, I think we need to appreciate, and, and let me start with the context of where it grew out of in the days the people got and how it arrives to us today, was first of all in the area of oaths. And, and how that related to our character and a reflection on the character of God. You know, in the old days, they, you know, they didn't have lawyers. Now, you know, you go in and you, and you, you, you know, you get out a new mor- you take out a new mortgage and, it, and there's this much paperwork to fill out, right? There's contract after contract after contract. You know, you sign one paper says, my name is Neil Davidson. And then you sign the next page says, I'm the person who just signed the page before that said, I'm Neil Davidson. And then the next page says, and this, this one verifies that I'm not lying when I said that I'm in the person who wrote, you know. And they just have all these kinds of documents. There's all kinds of contracts to go with it. All kinds of, they didn't have that in the old days. So you went up to a guy and said, I, wanna, I need some seed to plant my field. Will you give me a bag of corn seed so I can go plant it? And you said to him, you know, and when, the, when my crop comes in, I'll give you 10%. That's what I'll pay you with. No contract. They didn't have any contracts. They didn't have lawyers or all that kind of stuff. And so they'd say, as the Lord lives... I promise that when my cop comes in, I'll pay you. And so they used God's name to verify who they were. And because of their belief in God, they would say, because of, of what I believe about God, there is absolutely no way that I would break my word to you. Because I'm inviting God to punish me if I break my word. And secondly, I know that if I don't keep my word, I am, I am telling you what I believe about my God. That my God isn't great. And I don't have to be faithful to the stuff that I tell my God that I'm going to do. And so they would use the name of God to verify what they were going to do. 
is a symbol of what they believed about God and who they were as a follower of God. And so to break that word was to misuse the name of God because it failed to treat God as holy. Now, how do we do that today? Again, you know, there are many places where we say, you know, so help me God, this is what I'm going to do. Usually it's just one piece of paper after another that we initial and sign and date. And, and that's what holds us to our word. But I got to tell you, when you walk out of this place and the people in your neighborhood and the people that you work with know that you're a churchgoer and that you claim to be a Christian, you claim to have faith in God and your actions don't reflect what you believe to be about God. You misuse the name of God, and so do I. We take the name of the Lord in vain. Let the thinking sink in for a minute. When we go out of here and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. You know, I believe in God. And yet our life, our life the way we live our lives reflects what we believe about God. You know, it's, it's been said that there are two reasons why people are not followers of Christ. One is because they've never met a Christian, or they have met a Christian. <laughs> you, know what I, you, know, you know, I'm being somewhat facetious, but you know what I'm saying. And, and what strikes me is that we, we know this. I know your heart. I know my heart. You know, that, that we want to be good reflections on God. You know, we want the name of God that we bear because Christ is within us. We, we want to be good at... What strikes me is why there isn't more urgency to, to, to just knead that in. You know, just rub it in and, and let it permeate every area of our lives. Why is it we can be so lackadaisical and so undriven to, to seek the power of God to experience transformation in the area of our lives that we know needs to be changed? Some of us, maybe all of us sitting here today, have said, you know what, I've needed to change this about my spiritual life for months, and I haven't done a thing about it. And I'm convinced that when we do that, and we still claim to be a follower of God, we're taking the name of the Lord in vain. And that's the biggest thing I want you to take away with today. But I do think there are a couple of other ways. I think there are ways, too, in which what this is teaching is you and I aren't supposed to use the name of God in a selfish way. Now, remember, back in, in, in the days of, of Moses and the people of God, there were many idols around. And, and what people would do is they would gather together and they would have worship experiences, whatever they were, whatever God they were worshiping, and they would invite God's presence. And then when God was there, at least they thought their God was there, they would ask them to their God to do something for them. Whether they would say, well, make it rain or make our crops grow. Or we want you to curse the Israelites who are coming in. Or, you know, we want you to curse our enemy or whatever. You know, and they would try to invoke God, the presence of God, use the name of God, to get the, the name of a God to get their God to do what they wanted their God to do. And they sought to use the name of God in a selfish way. The people of God, even Israel, was tempted to do the same thing. You know, do we use the name of God in such a selfish way today? I don't know. But I think there are ways that we still use this use the, the name of God in, self, in selfish ways. You know, I, I got to tell you, my skin just crawls. And I, that's the only way. It just irritates me to no end. You hear these guys on television saying, God has told me you need to send me $1,000 to open up the heavens to pour your... And I was like, give me a break. Is that a selfish use of the name of God or what? I'm, I'm using the name of God to leverage what I want from you. Or like in church fights, God told me we're supposed to have pews and not chairs. Well, I, you know, how do you argue with it? You argue with that. You know, I was praying this morning and God told me the carpet's supposed to be red, not green. You know, it, you know, and we use the name of God in selfish ways. 
And I'm using some facetious things, but we need to be very careful. Sometimes we use the name of God to intimidate others so we can get what we want, get our way, get what we like. Sometimes we use the name of God to impress other people. You know, we, we throw in a lot of gods and Jesuses and hallelujahs and praise the Lords and those kinds of things just because we want people to think that we're really spiritual. We are the things that prove that you're really spiritual is how you walk with God every single day. But we can use the name of God in selfish ways. But I also think that it is worthwhile for us to understand that we are not supposed to use the name of God in senseless ways. You know, the people of God in the Old Testament, they, they developed an understanding where they actually came, where they only spoke the name Yahweh one time a year. They had tremendous reverence for it. They would wash their hands before they copied the name down as they were copying scriptures from one generation to another. They were terrified of making the name of God common and ordinary. And, and when you and I used the name of God, even if it's the generic term, just God, instead of Yahweh or Lord or, or any of the other names that like John used in his prayer this morning, when we just throw that out there, we diminish the character, the reputation of our God. If we're just using it as senseless fillers, like, like my, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. You know, we, we shouldn't be referring to the supreme being in the universe in such casual, meaningless ways. We ought to have more respect for the God who's created us and for the God who's recreated us in Jesus Christ. And, and for many of us, the reason why that language is there is because we just lack self-control. We give in to our impulses and the stuff like It's the same with swearing. You know, the foul language that comes out of our mouths is it's because we lack self-control. We lack discipline. And God would call us to be self-controlled. So how would I summarize this? I believe the third commandment about not taking the name of the Lord in vain. Again, and God's desire is to put us in a place where he can share his best with us. So we're not wandering outside of that, but we're staying in a place where God can bless us. Where God says, I don't want you to do anything or say anything that would discourage anybody, including yourself, from wanting to be a devoted follower of me. I don't want you to do anything in your life, in what you say, or anything in your lifestyle, your character. I don't want you to do anything. Because you are associated with me, by what you do, you are going to encourage or discourage people to follow me. And I don't want you to do anything that's going to discourage them from being a follower of me. You know how the New Testament puts the same command? We prayed it just a few minutes ago, didn't we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The positive version of that is, is we live our lives in such a way that people look at us and say, I want to get to know that God. And that's what it means to treat the name of the Lord with respect. In reverence. And those are the kinds of lives <laughs> that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the earth so that he can strongly support them. Let's pray together. God, we hear your cl- claim on our lives today because of who you are, how you've acted in history, and what you can do in our lives through faith in Christ. That you've not only made it possible, but you so desire for us to take you seriously in every part of our lives. God, grant us urgency as we seek to live lives that you can bless in these days. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to invite our worship team to come and lead us in a closing song. As we begin to sing, our ushers will come and begin to receive our offering. And again, I invite you to take a moment and throw your connection cards in there so we know how to pray for you this week. Let's stand and sing to the Lord as we conclude our service this morning.